we know, we know all Scripture is God-breathed, right? Paul tells Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed, it's all useful. For teaching, training, correcting 2 Timothy 3, 16, one of the memory verses they make you learn at Bible college, but it's true, it's all good, the Bible, but different parts of the Bible are going to speak to us in different ways. They're going to grab hold of us in different ways. So you're going to read through Paul's letters, and it's quite prescriptive. I mean, we need grace to get to any of it, but it's quite prescriptive stuff. And you'll, you'll sort of learn from that. You read through the Old Testament, you'll see God's people working out who God is. You're going to learn from that. You pick up the Psalms. Pick up the Psalms. This is, and this is where whenever I'm really struggling or whenever I'm really happy, the, the emotional highs and lows, I'm in, I'm in the Psalms. Pick up the Psalms, and they shape our thoughts and feelings. They make a beeline to the seat of your emotions. They operate somehow on a, on a deeper level, like straight away. They, they cut through the rubbish, and they get, uh, they get straight there. It's like, finding, it's, like find, it's like you're rooting around in your loft, and you find, you find an old diary in and amongst all your textbooks. You see all the textbooks, the geography textbook, your school textbooks, you're like, this is useful stuff. Then you read through the diary that you wrote when you were 17, when you were in love or when you are really mad with the whole world, and all of a sudden you remember really clearly exactly what love is. That's what Psalms do. You read through the Psalms, you're like, oh man, yes. Do you remember that when I was 17? You remember exactly what lust is, what romance was or is, that kind of thing. And you read through the diary and you see that Psalms is going to take us there. So it's going to take us there in two ways. So I've got, this is, a, this is one of those two-point sermons. So it's one of those with me, you know what I'm like, Get them in early, so at least I've said the thing. And then if I get it wrong after that, it's all good. So there's two things that the psalm causes us to think about at a deeper level. It's going to cut right through you. And hopefully, I'll be able to say it well enough so it cuts right through you too. Here's the first thing. In the purposes of God, it really matters what you say. In the purposes of God, it really matters what you say. The noise that emits from that thing in the middle of your face bears significance to your relationship with him. It correlates. It, it, it's, it's important. And I, I want to make, make a teaching point at this moment because there's lots of talk of singing and songs and pontificating and declaring and all that sort of stuff in here. What we've got to remember with the Psalms is that it's poetic verse. You know, it's written by artistic people. There is license here. David was a warrior, like just the coolest guy in the world, a warrior poet. That's it, isn't it? That's just as cool as it gets. He's an artistic person, and there is license. So when we think about singing, let's not just think about singing. I mean, I think we need to think about singing, but let's not just think about singing. There's more going on in this verse. Do you know when Whitney Houston, I'm trying to be target with this anecdote, Whitney Houston sang to Kevin Costner with that, those shimmering lips and those piercing eyes, I want to run to you, Kevin, do you remember that, that song? I'm a target. I think I'm target. I've really worked hard to get target. I want to run to you. It's not just a song about athletics. That's not where she's headed with this. She's thinking about longing and love and something broader and bigger than that. And the Psalms, when we think about singing, we're going we're gonna to be asked to do that sort of thing. So we're going to really be opened up as to the, the sort of the legacy of our words. Do you know on Facebook, I don't know if... I'm not good on social media. I'm not always there, and I, I'm often like three years behind everything else. But do you know when they send you that little sort of colora coloration of words? 
you know, you get like 50 words, that's a thing, right? That used to be a thing. You get that, you get that, and it's like all the, all the, all the characters and the words that you've said over the last few years, here's what they are. And you sort of have to read that, and like, I've only sent about 50 characters in total. But when they come back at you, you get that moment where you're like, oh yeah, that's, that's me. I, I write a lot about gin. I write a lot about selfies. I write a lot about the high life, or whatever it is, and you look back and you go, man, that's me. That's what this psalm's going to do. It's going to get us to really, in a weighty way, consider our words in relation to God. That's the first thing. And the second thing is in the purposes of God, it really matters how you feel about other people. So it matters what fumbles out your mouth, and it really matters how you feel about other people. And I've, I've carefully chosen the word other people. You know the other people. You know who I'm talking about when I talk about other people. people there's people like you. There's the all right people. There's people like me who think like me and dance like me and talk like me and all the rest of it. And then there's the other people. So here's, here, this passage gets, flips it. It goes, think about others. Think about how this message you've heard from God, the awesomeness of God, affects everybody else uh, that you know. And it's, it's going to be a bit like, I don't know if you've ever sat through the marathon of comic relief. Have you ever committed to it and just sat through it and you come out? You, some people just watch the funny bits. If you, just, if you commit to it the whole way through, you're like, you're just so aware of how much need there is out there. You're like, man, this is the other people, the people I don't see. And then you're so aware, like you look around at the stuff you have and you go like, I'm, I'm obligated here. And you see the other people and it sort of cuts to you. This psalm's going to do that. It's going to show you the other people in light of what God's done for you. So that's two things. So let's get into the text. Um, if you could pop that up on the screen, that would be awesome or follow it through. There is a, there is a flow to this. That's going to help us all out. It's a massive help. That's kind of, like you wrestle with it in the week, you go, oh, there's a flow to this song. Oh, thank goodness I've seen what the flow is. And I feel like I need to just say, there's a flow to this, and if you follow it, it's like God's song, here's the flow, here's the rhythm, and it's so enlightening. It's going to help us out with a bunch of stuff. So try and spot the flow. Read with me, uh, verse 1. Just the first bit to get a bit of the rhythm. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Excuse me. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all nations. Did you spot the flow? There's a flow. There's a flow that goes right through. It takes us somewhere. Starts off something, a word that I overuse, but it's not overused in this sense. Something awesome has happened. Some, that's, the, that's the origin of the flow. Something awesome has happened. Some people know about the awesome thing. In this context, it's Israel. Israel have seen the awesome thing, and they know that God did the awesome thing. And because it's so awesome in the flow, everybody's got to hear about the awesome thing. So there's got to be some noise. Do you get the flow? That sounded almost gangster when I said that then, didn't it? Almost. And I've got my hands in a gangster pose. I don't know. Let's be a bit more preachy, Ash. So you get the flow. It's significant, the flow. There needs to be noise. It ends with us facing out of ourselves. It's going to help us get a handle on one or two sort of basic things about Christianity that I think we get muddled up with. I get muddled up with this stuff. So here's the first thing. Here's the first way it helps us out. Worship. What does worship become? What do we think worship is often? It's that bit in church. We've just done it. That bit where you sit, you sit or you stand and you praise God or maybe you bow your head and you pray. Kind of, sometimes that, that kind of incorporates the worship world for us. This psalm makes us think Differently to that. Do you see what's happening in this psalm? God's people get how awesome God is. 
They're like, yep, I get how awesome God is. And then this is, and it's a worshipful tune. They go, I need to give him his place in the world. That's what the worship is. They see the incredible thing that God has done, and they see the world that doesn't know about it, and they say, worship here is, I've got to make this God known. I've got to give him his place. Haven't I? That is what worship is. And it sort of takes us out of this pattern that we can get into where we think, all right, here's worship. I'm bowing down. I'm singing to God. Yeah, that's worship. Worship is giving God the right place he affords in your life, like this week amongst your stuff, but also in the world. And when, when he's not in the world, worship is saying, right, world, we need to see God because that's where he belongs. It's what worship is. Second thing it helps us to see is what evangelism is. We are an evangelical church, you know, essentially. I think we're an evangelical church, which means, as far as I can figure out, we tell people about God slightly above the hush. That's, that, that's the, there's the home of the world, and then just above that, we're going to say, here's some news about God. I think that's what it means to be evangelical. And it really gets us to the meat of that, because I think we can feel sometimes that the call to evangelism, the call to tell other people, it can be a bit box-ticky, can't it? You feel like that in your life? It feels a bit like, man, I'm a Christian, so I've, got to, I've really got to tell somebody about this. You ever have those moments, if you've been a Christian? Or this, I mean, if you're not a Christian, you won't have, you won't have experienced this, perhaps. But if you are a Christian, you'll be like, in the, in the canteen at work, when the conversation all of a sudden gets serious, and you think, oh, no. So you almost dread it going into a faithful sort of chat, because somebody know, they know that you go to church, they know there's something a bit going on with you. They're not exactly sure what it is. And you've got to, you think, oh, no, don't go. Don't go any, if it's here, then God won't strike me down if I don't declare his name. You know, this, you're almost obligated. Evangelism can feel a bit like that. And from a church perspective, it feels a bit like you're always thinking, like when the elders get together, we're always thinking strategy. How do we be evangelical? How do we get that message out there to other people? And it's almost like subvert Christianity, isn't it? You're like, how do I, how can I get the name of the Lord Jesus into this conversation about sport here. How, how can I do that? How can we get people into church? That evangelism becomes this sort of thing. And it, this psalm reminders, reminds us of like the authentic nature of evangelism. People, people see the awesome God and they, and they see the people that don't know and between that they just can't help but sing about it. It's kind of what evangelism is. It's just this authentic, man, yeah, God's been amazing. And these people don't know, I've got to tell people about him. Do you ever have one of these moments where you've, where you've been somewhere awesome to eat in, awesome again, somewhere awesome to eat in Leeds or around about the sea and it's just, it's this amazing place and you're having a chat and there's just this assumption that they're going to know about this awesome place and then you find out that they've not been to this and you go like, you've not, you've not been here. The, the coffee is amazing. It feels like you're in the trendiest place. The food is just brilliant. They play like 50s music. It's very current. You'll feel really cool if you go there. And you kind of just splurt it all out because you've seen the cool thing. There's no like strategy or thinking it through. It just kind of f- flows out of you because you've grasped the awesome thing. Do you remember when, um, if, you're a, if you're footy fans, when England a couple of months ago were just f- were flying? Do you remember that? If you're into footy, Delhi Alley. I think the, the, the pinnacle of the moment would be when Deli Ali scored the header in the quarterfinal and we just cruised into the semi-finals of the World Cup. I remember watching it just thinking, oh, this is amazing. And, and people were walking down the street just talking about it. There was like this chorus that ran through the nation. The amazing thing was happening. We didn't have to really think how we'd squeeze it into the chat. It was just there. 
because it was so awesome. That's, that's kind of what evangelism is. That's what they're singing about here. God's, and the, and the Israelites got this, like God's awesome. The people don't know, and God's awesome. We've got to tell the people about this great God. And then you realize at the end of the floor where it leaves them. So they, they worship God. They've grasped who he is. They've been evangelical, and they're left facing the other people. That's their reality. As they worship God, they're left looking at the other nations. Now, think what you know about Israel. Now or then. Think about the other nations round about. They're not, they've not got lots of friends round about there. Let's be honest about it. They've got enemies round about there. And they had enemies then, and they've had enemies now. They've got enemies now. And they look around, finding out this great news, and their song is, man, we've got to tell the nations. We've got to tell these people round about, these people that have, we've been fighting for for 100 years to get a scrap of land, these people who are different than us, that drive us mad, that, that, that their habits and their rituals we, are just contrary to our habits and rituals. They're faced with them because of this worshipness, this worshipful heart for God. This, this is the song of God. This is what the song of God is. It starts with your salvation, you knowing him, you worshiping him, and it ends with you staring into the eyes of your enemy, the person that you hate that's not like you, that's another person that's different from you, and you needing to love them because of what God's done. That's where the flow ends. It's like, it's like your ship's just been struck when you're out crossing the North Sea on a ferry. And you've been pulled out of the icy waters, saved by the rescue boat, only to find that you're in a rescue boat looking for other survivors. It's like that. That's the story of salvation. Man, I'm saved. You go, oh, great. Take me to Hawaii. Let me have another break. No, you're on the boat looking for more survivors. In fact, you're looking for the people that's just tried to sink your ship. It's that kind of a story. We're left facing outwards. God's word says, declare his glory among the nations. Verse 3. Uh, verse 9 and 10, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Here's, here's what this psalm in 96, and God asks us to think about. He says, just stop for a second. Think about your faith. Think about what God's done, what he's meant to you, what he is. How do you... How does that make you feel about other people? How does knowing him really, like it's like the cold, hard bit of the sermon, how does that make you feel about other people? There's um, a tribe in Papua New Guinea, in fact there's thousands of tribes in Papua New Guinea, and they've, they've never heard about Jesus. How, how do you feel about the other people in the world who's, who've not heard of this? Christianity's been going for... Thousands of years, 2,000 years, there's millions of us. And we've not organized ourselves in a way which has been bothered to communicate this message to thousands of little peoples around the world. How does that make you feel inside? And there's that sense which, like, you go, I don't know if I'm bothered about that. How does it make you feel about other people? That British subculture that you just hate I'm not going to go through the lists in case I end up slandering myself. But you know what I mean. The, the subcultures that you just like, 
I'm just pretty sure the gospel's not meant for these people. I can't see any way that they're going to get to the gospel. How do you feel about them? The guy across the street, that neighbor on your street, the other person that's different than you, that goes through his whole life seeming to be the antithesis of where you're coming from, that you just despise to your bones. You don't want to spend eternity with him. You don't talk to him about the gospel. How do you feel about him? How do you feel about other people? That's where the flow leaves us. That's where God's song takes us. It takes us, reaches us out of the pit, tells us we're saved. We find ourselves in worship, and then it shows us the rest of the world and says, right, what are you going to do with these people? That's the lessons of the flow. There's two noises. So there's two lessons, two noises that, that the people make in this psalm. There's probably more noises. There's probably more singing noises that they make. But there's two noises that I want to sort of stall you over. And I've made them rhyme because I don't want you to forget them. Okay? So that's, here's the two noises. One, new noises. People that are in the flow with God who see that he's awesome at the start and see that there's people that don't know in the world at the end make new noises. Second thing is they make true noises. New noises, true noises. Can you remember that? New noises and true noises. First one is new noises. It says right at the start, sing a new song. It says it all the way through the Psalms. The Psalmists are full of this chat. They're always on about new songs. Sing a new song. Got a new song sing. And you kind of, from a cynical perspective, you read that and you think, well, why? Why should we have a, why should we have a new song? Jesus is said, it's finished. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You'll hear plenty of people in church circles tell you that the gospel doesn't change, doesn't change, the story doesn't change, and the Bible is complete. Why should we need anything new? Why should there be any new sounds on our lips? Just imagine for a second that the worship world, the worship music world, the Christian music world that we know just, just dried up. Imagine for a second that it just came to an end. So Darlene, Zek, the Gettys, and Chris Tomlin got together, and they did a press conference. These are people who, who sort of lead worship, and they said, look, we've really had a good think about this. We've prayed heavily about this, but we just think we've written it all down. We've looked through the old hymn books. We've looked through the new stuff. We've got it all covered. It's all out there. There's, there's no more songs to write. Imagine that was the story of the world. How how awful would that be? What would that imply for people? What would it mean for people? Sometimes, as a guy who's approaching his 40s, um, I get exposed for my lack of knowledge of music. And you try and do that thing where you meet somebody younger than you, and you try and pass yourself off as cool. And increasingly, I find myself in this position where I'm trying to... And you just forget, when you get past 35, you just forget that you're not right there in the middle of it anymore. And you do that thing where you try and you do the chat. And then, so I've had a few times recently, I've been talking to younger guys about music. And I've tried to pass myself off as being in it and around it. And then they've come back to me and they've said, so who are you into? And it's, it was an awful moment. And I was like, I, I couldn't think of anybody from the last, anybody. From, and, I'm, and all my brain was just going, just name one band that's not from the 90s. Can you name one? Can you think of anybody, Ash? And all I could say was, Oasis. And this young, cool dude looked back at me, and he was like, you don't like music. You, 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 what, have, what have you been doing? What's been happening for the last 20 years? That's not somebody who likes music. And there's just this the massive disconnect been exposed in me. And he's looked at me, and he's gone, yeah, you, you, know, you don't care about music. You don't know about music. You've missed all this music, all this amazing music that's been happening. Why did, why did Israel have a new song? Why was it important that they had a new song? Israel had a new song 
They had new songs to sing because God was present with them. God had moved in with them and he had stayed with them. You can, you can read this psalm in Psalm 96 or you can find it in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 16, the account of it. It's what they're singing in, in 1 Chronicles 16. When the people of Israel fight the Philistines, they grab the ark and they bring it back. They sing this song because they've got God with them, tabernacling, living with them, in and amongst them, every day, helping them, forgiving them, directing them, providing for them, not just once, but continually. See, that's why you can sing new songs if you're one of God's people, because what God does is he moves in. He moves in every day and says to you things like, you know that, that person that you just hate? I'm gonna, help, I'm gonna help you with that. I'm gonna, because of your love for me, because of your knowledge that I've got all this in control, I can, we can work through this. You know that person that you can't forgive, that you can't get past? I can help you with that. You know that you keep struggling to pray? I'm going to show you new, amazing things about me. And every day the story goes on and on and on. People of God have a new noise. And that goes right through you, doesn't it? That goes right through you because you think, well, I don't know that I've got new noises. People of God have new noises. The second thing that people of God have is true noises. They're truth tellers. If you're, if you're in the floor with God, if you've grasped that he's awesome, and if you know that people don't know then you make a true noise. Listen to this. Listen in with this. Sing to the Lord. Verse 2 and 3. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. That's 2 and 3. And then 4 and 6. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. All the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Spot the floor here. Have a look for the floor here. Proclaim. That's where it starts. Make, make a noise. Make, a, make a, a noise that's louder. Day after day, all the time, his salvation. There's one true God. Above the hush, with frequency, God made this. Make known all the time, there's only hope in Jesus' name. God's people are truth tellers. They've got to be truth tellers. I think it's, it's interesting the kind of chat that circulates like on TV and in the media and amongst ourselves uh, with our friends, the kind of chat that we do as Christians in, in the public sphere, the kind of things that we'll say. We'll say things like, and it will be said of us, that there are, we are spiritual people. You'll see, you can, and that's quite an easy thing to say. If, if, if you're, somebody's found out that you're a Christian and you want to kind of explain things, you say, oh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a spiritual person. You know? Or you'll say something like, well, I pray. That gives me hope when I pray. You'll say, yeah, my faith gets me through. You'll use this kind of language. And, it's, and this is good language. This is the foothills of faith. And it's kind of the socially acceptable sort of language that we can use. But there is more. There is more for this nation to know about God than just these things. God's people are truth. Tell us, somewhere down the line in our journey of faith, because we know God's awesome, because we know that there's only salvation found in Jesus Christ, and because we know that God 
created the world somewhere down the line to people that we know and love. If we love them and we love him, then we tell the truth. God's people are truth, truth tellers and they make new noises. Here's the rub. You might, you, I don't know if you've been to church before, you might be thinking, see what you're telling me. People in the purposes of God, they sing with joy, they speak truth, they've got something new to say, they are moved to others. But here's the thing, Ash, with what you're saying. Here's my problem. I, I don't know how I feel about God. I think he might be there, but I'm not sure, so I'm not going to join in with this song. Or maybe you're thinking, well, actually, I've, I'm pretty sure I'm a Christian. I'm pretty sure I'm, you know, I've, I come here all the time. I'm pretty sure about that. But when you said that stuff about new songs, I'm kind of like, I don't know that I have, I don't know that I have any new songs to sing. The psalm ends, culminates, climaxes, and it gives us, it gives all of us, people who've, who had got no sense of God, that just would just dismiss him out of hand. And though the rest of us that are looking for a song, a reason to sing, it's the climax. It's the end of the flow. It's where the story ends. Read it with me. Verse 10 through 13. Say it among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It can't be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea Resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything that is in them. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation sing before the Lord, for he comes. It's the end of the story. Did you spot the flow in that little passage? God comes to judge. God brings perfect justice to the earth. And the outcome of God's perfect justice is that the creation, nature, depending on your perspective, the earth starts to sing. It returns to its perfect state. It does what it's supposed to do. It brings glory and honor to God. The earth is glad. The sea, the sea resounds. And the earth using poetic license, it sings out. My granddad used to work in a textile mill. My granddad was the engineer. And it, our machines didn't often work. They didn't often sing. But when they were all, when everything was working as it should do, he could come in and he could hear it because he was a great engineer. And he would say, man, it's singing today when everything ran as it should do. That is what God will do to the earth when his justice comes. All the earth around us, all the things that you see will work perfectly. The last thing I want you to think about right at the end of the sermon. In the cold light of day, when you're climbing up a mountain or looking out towards the ocean, what do you think about the nature that you see? How does it make you feel when you see nature around about you? Where does it leave you? I was in the ocean yesterday with some free swimmers. It was an amazing experience, just brilliant. And you look and you start to think about just, just that aspect of creation. It's just it's amazing. That's the first thing you think. The, the water that we drink falls down from the sky. It lands in the mountains and the streams, and it trickles its way down, purifying itself as it goes. And we get a drink along the way, then it spills back into the sea, and it all goes round again. It's amazing. That's what we think when we look at these things. It's beautiful. 
When the water's in a straight line like a horizon, beautiful. When it's bendy like a river, beautiful. When it just falls down out of the sky or like a waterfall, you look at it and you go, beautiful. And then you stop to think about it. How does it make you feel? You walk to the river air in Cass and you see how mucky it is and you go. Or you see the plastic soaked oceans and you kind of go. Or you read about the fact that our fish are getting filled up with plastic into the food chain. You go, that's, and here's what you see. That's not how it should be. That's what you see when you see that. That is not how it should be. And there is a sense within us, deep within us, an innate sense that you look at this creation and you go, that should be perfect. That's how it should be. And the psalm takes us to a place where it gets us to think, yeah, that is where it's supposed to be. It is made for something bigger. It is made for something better. As I said, I was in, I was in the North Sea yesterday afternoon with some very good uh, free swimmers, and it was this, this kind of beautiful moment. I was, you know, I was, uh, when, when, uh, when I found out that this is what was happening, um, when I knew I was going to do this with a bunch of free swimmers, I, I just assumed it was either mad, that you just actually, it was just a bit of a joke, you wouldn't actually go in the North Sea, or that everybody would be wearing wetsuits, that's not how it was, it was just in in your trunks in the North Sea, it was freezing cold, but it, you get in there, once you've acclimatized, I was looking up at the, it was a beautiful day yesterday, up at the sun, looking back towards the north coast of Yorkshire, oh, just beautiful, I'm in the ocean, and the terminology was things like, this is beautiful, isn't it, this is perfect, isn't it, we're at one with nature, that sense of the creation and being at one with nature. And I was like saying to Jude, I can't imagine anything better than this. This is just amazing, isn't it? And then I thought of something. I thought of one thing that made that moment even better. It was that this was not a moment of chance in the universe. This was God-orchestrated beauty. God knew in eternity past that some dim-witted Yorkshireman would find that amazing, that he could be at one with nature. And he created the sea, and he made the landscapes, and he formed it all to work perfectly. And in that moment, I got a tiny sense, a glimpse of the tune of God, of the creation and how it's supposed to sound. Creation was made to sing. That is the song you want to join in with. And God says... In Psalms, sing to him.